We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome, I'm Julie Sedanko, and today we're talking with Ayana, a working mom of four kids, ages 11 to 23. Ayana is also a member of our Conquer Membership Program and is in the process of leaving an abusive marriage. Ayana, can you give me uh, an idea of when your marriage, you knew it was destructive? So one, I'm just glad to be here and just share you know, my truth and what it looked like for me. And I pray that this helps to free someone because now they have language or they can connect or identify with my story. For me, we got married and this was our second marriage. We got married in 2015. I'm always pretty transparent, I believe, to a fault almost. So, you know, I had my children. They were young. Um, At the time, the oldest was 15 the youngest was, he was probably two and a half, maybe three. So these were children from another marriage. A previous marriage, yep. So I had been married before. He was an alcoholic, um, was into drugs and, you know, all the things. And so left that marriage in 2011. Um, he stalled the divorce for three years. So the divorce wasn't final until 2014. I meet my cu- my current husband in that time frame. He too now is coming from his first marriage uh, and being divorced and everything seemed fine. He was a man of God. He was the complete opposite of my ex-husband, didn't drink, didn't smoke, wasn't into like the street life or the fast life. And uh, I said, okay, God, like, I think this is the man that you have for me. This is what I prayed for anyway. Like I wanted a man of God. I wasn't in Christ just yet. So I did want somebody who was well-versed and could help coach me. And so we decided to get married and it was like a, a, a switch flipped. It went from him being like my best friend to everything I was doing was wrong to I was disloyal. I was disrespectful. I was a whole bunch of things and I wasn't sure where it was coming from. And, you know, hindsight is 2020. When I look back, there were other women that he was connected to, uh, just friends who were worried about me. And so they would check on me and I couldn't understand why they would check on me. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, if you knew how he felt about women, you would understand, like we know him. Um, and that was including his spiritual family, his biological family and church friends. Well, and maybe that's, they, I hate to say it, but it would have been nice if they had mentioned that before the marriage, before the wedding. Well, it, the, here's the thing. Um, we couldn't tell anybody. He didn't want me to tell anybody that we were dating. He didn't want me to... Like I couldn't hold his hand in church settings. Um, Why not? He was afraid that because he had dealt with church hurt specifically around his romantic relationships, he felt like um, he couldn't trust anybody in the church in this particular area of his life. So everything was kept kind of hush hush. There was only a select few who knew we were actually dating. There were a lot of people who believed we were, but weren't sure. And then we got married. It was very quick from the time we started dating to our actual I do was 12 weeks. Uh, So we didn't really have a courtship. We just had what we believed was our friendship that we had had for the last year. And um, everything changed after we said I do. 
there was, you know, I don't want you around your ex-husband. I don't want you talking to him. I don't want you communicating with him. And I had to paint the picture of like, I'm also a co-parent. I had later learned as we got into, you know, deeper into our marriage in the first couple of years, some of the relational hurt that he had experienced of being cheated on by his first wife and um, just experiencing some other traumatic events at the hands of women, his mother, his grandmother, and had realized that he had a deep-seated hate for women. And that, I think, was the first time I realized I don't know who I married because who was my friend is not showing up in this marriage. I'm getting somebody who is hurt. I'm getting somebody who is broken. I'm getting somebody who is angry and who really wants vengeance on women because of the hurt he's experienced at the hands of them. So I felt a good brunt of it. And I remember God saying to me one day, you won't be able to apologize enough to him. You can own your stuff, but he needs you to apologize for hurts that you didn't even cause. Because you are willing to apologize, he's holding you responsible for hurts that you didn't cause. And so it was just a never ending cycle of not um, being enough, not doing enough, not saying enough. An example of what that actually looked like. So it could be something where um, maybe my ex-husband called because he wanted to see the children and he would say, you're still loyal to him. You still want to be with him. You're going to cater to him. You're going to give him everything he wants because you just want to be with him. I was very transparent about my relationship with my ex-husband, with my current husband. Um, This man would black out. He spousal rape is real. Um, He would abandon us for weeks and months at a time. So there was no thought in my mind that I was going back to a man that would do that to me and wouldn't even have any recollection of it because he would be so inebriated. So there's no reason why I would even want to go back. And he could not reconcile it. In fact, it took almost four years into our marriage to realize everything that I was doing to keep lines of communication open were for the sake of the children. It's almost like he had, my current husband had blacked out the fact that I had children with another person and I needed to keep lines of communication open. I needed to be at least cordial, civil, so that the children could have some sort of relationship with their father. And I would just be constantly accused like I was cheating on him. Well, I think what you said earlier was is so important because when anybody, man or woman, has such a deep-seated issue in their heart, unresolved issue. If you're trying to live your life to placate that, you're never going to. That's not going to bring healing. So tiptoeing around him, walking on eggshells, all of that, it doesn't do him any good. That that was work that he needed to do. And unfortunately, did he even try to do some work? Did he recognize he had an issue? So earlier on in our marriage, we were at a counseling session and that's when he acknowledged, he said, I realized I don't respect women. And that was hard to hear. I have a little girl and, you know, I'm a woman. And so I'm hearing this for the first time that the man that I married does not respect women. And later um, last year, he had a come to Jesus moment where he recognized that he had been trying to sort of avenge his hurt from the women that he was involved with. And so that included me. You know, he says that he's let go of some of those things, but the way that he 
spoke with me just in our last argument in November, there are still some things that he needs to deal with, but he's of the belief, you know, God can do anything, but that doesn't mean that he'll actually go to therapy. He doesn't really believe in that. He doesn't believe in therapy. Mm-mm. Okay. Wow. Well, he knows that it's helpful. He just doesn't believe that it'll help him. If he has God, then why would he need therapy is typically the response. So, wow. So in your marriage, you had this accusations, verbal abuse. There was also some spiritual abuse and financial abuse. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, So with the spiritual abuse, that looked like mocking my daily practices to grow in Christ. I'm very visual. So I have in my, you know, in my private space, I have prayers all over the wall. I have pictures, I have scriptures, I have things like that. Um, You know, I don't, I'm not able to have a prayer closet. So I have to kind of live out loud so people see my prayer space. And I remember one day he mocked it and he was like, oh, you think just because you you have this, you're going to be close to Jesus. That's nothing. And he just completely diminished it. And as a new believer, you know, I wasn't sure what to think if I was doing it right. He just made me feel very wrong about how I was going about seeking Jesus as a new, you know, a new person in Christ. Um, there would be things where he would say, um, you're going to have to deal with that. Like, God doesn't like that. So you're going to have to deal with that. It wasn't the corrective tone. It was a condemning tone. What would that be? So before coming to Christ, there, you know, like I would drink a little, I would smoke, you know, things like that. And I knew that those things had to die. But it would be this holier than thou kind of like, you need to, you need to do something about that. You just, you can't. And I, you know, and I understand it, but just the way that it would be communicated to me. Um, Sometimes there would be, there's a passage of scripture and, you know, he would say it to try to convict me of who I was as a wife or who I was as a mother. And, um, you know, it just, it never settled with me the way in which he would use um, scripture to try to, um, condemn me in an attempt to convict me, if that makes sense. Well, a hundred percent, because I think we can all, whether it's with our kids, our husbands or whatever, when we try to take the job of the Holy Spirit, it just never goes well. It's not received well. He is the only one to be convicting, truly convicting, because throwing scripture and waving it in front of people's faces, um, telling them, preaching at them, it just doesn't work. So, yeah, I mean, there was even a point where he said to me, you give God glory for everything, but you don't give me nothing. And that really like kind of blew my mind. And I'm like, because God does it all. And what it ultimately came down to was him acknowledging that he wanted to be the God in my life. Okay. And I wasn't giving him the proper credit for the things that I was giving God credit for. And so he was very jealous of my relationship with with Christ. I say I probably grew fairly quickly in Christ. I wouldn't say, you know, I'm a fully mature believer, but where I was eight years ago is not where I'm at now. And his relationship with Christ, after having been in a relationship, if you will, for at that point, it was maybe about maybe about 20 years and just seeing how God was moving in my life versus how God was moving in his. 
Um, it would turn into competitiveness. It would turn into comparison. Well, God doesn't speak to me the way that he speaks to you. Well, you know, he I don't understand why he's talking to you, but he's not talking to me. And so it would make it, you know, a point of contention where I just kind of stopped sharing my faith like that with him because I wasn't willing to fight him and fight God because God was working on me. And I thought my husband was supposed to be my resting place for when things got hard, hard or, you know, like, you know, God was showing me something about my character and I just needed like a place of comfort. And instead that turned into um, a place of conflict and I couldn't present myself spiritually before him because I would likely be damaged. In fact, that was the reason why God had us separate because of the way that he was uh, verbally abusive. We had done a debrief, according to him, was us basically putting everything out on the table, addressing all of our situations. And what it turned into was a blaming session for eight weeks because we did it every Saturday. And so he wanted me to go first, um, like he normally does. And I would bring up an issue. This is an issue I'm having. I don't know if this is your perspective or what you believe. This is what I experienced. And he would use that as an opportunity to say, well, I did that because you. And so for eight weeks, I went through this and I was like, God, I don't know. This is not a debrief. This is an opportunity for him to address all of his concerns without taking ownership and bringing it up on his own. So instead, he's using me as an opportunity to air what he wants to say by saying I brought it up first, like classic manipulative yeah. tactic. Well, and I think the lesson really is that you are not to blame for your husband's behavior, period. Right. I mean, they have a choice how to behave and they're instructed by God on how to behave. And so just like we have to take responsibility for our own sins, so do they. So right. if somebody is blaming you for their behavior, that is not biblical. Right. Right. And it happens to For every one finger you point at me, there's always three pointing back at you. That's so exactly right. Yeah. Always three. Your husband also kind of was financially controlling as well. Can you give us yeah. an idea of what that looked like? When we would get into um, heated arguments or if money would get tight, like, you know, we moved to a whole nother state uh, and we had just the savings of the sale of our home. So when things would get tight or we would be in sort of a heated space, he would withdraw his money. So there was one point where he got into an argument um, police were called. And the first thing he did after he left the home was remove all of the money from a savings account that we had, um, citing like, you didn't put any money in there. It's all mine. So he would take it out. There was another time where I had taken um, $200 out of our joint account to purchase groceries because I was actively paying down debt. And so, you know, I literally didn't have anything after my paychecks and bills. And he called me a thief. And he said that I had stole from him and I put the money back, um, you know, the next paycheck. But that paycheck, I had, you know, quite a bit to pay toward debt. So, you know, I could get myself out. But your um, name is on that account. Correct. And he said, because I didn't put the money in there, I didn't have the right to take it out. And then recently, um, you know, as we got to this place, as we're nearing, you know, this decision to actually end the marriage, 
and we're looking at like household finances, one of the things that I noticed that he has consistently done is he will um, come up with a plan to pay all of his bills and then maybe the rent. But then I'm stuck with, you know, the food, the extracurricular activities, all of the rest of the bills. And so it just feels um, like I'm going to do everything to protect me. Um, good luck. And wow. so that's the way that it feels for me when that happens. So he pays for all of his bills and he pays for part of the rent. And then I pay all the rest of the bills, household needs, extracurriculars, and everything. So there's never really a discussion. He just comes up with his own financial management plan um, to take care of himself. And then I have to take care of, you know, the kids and I, and then I get told um, like I'm using him to take care of our children, that I'm just using him to um, financially come up. And I take care of everything from health insurance all the way down to sandwich meat. Hmm. So it's the removal of his financial presence. And then to be called essentially like a gold digger, you know, like I'm just using him to take well, care. And of he children. called you, he called you a lot of things that were pretty, I, I yeah. mean, um, I told you when I was kind of reading through your story a little bit before we met today, it made me angry. I've been called a horrible mom and I've been called disrespectful, disloyal, um, selfish, self-centered, uh, a little girl like a baby because I would cry when I would get angry because I couldn't really do anything with the emotion. So I would cry. Um, manipulative, a cheater. I've caused him to suffer greatly. And the way he would talk about it, it was almost as if it was worse than Jesus dying on the cross. The amount of suffering he's had to endure as a result of our relationship. Well, and then the, there was the time when you miscarried yeah, so, um, and this recently had come back up for us. Shortly after we married, I got um, pregnant about it almost a year, almost a year after our um, marriage, that June. So we got married in August of 2015. And that June of 2016, I found out I was pregnant with twins. You know, that was a happy day. He was excited. I was excited. From that day forward, however, we argued almost every single day. Um, mm -hmm. I was also... Um, dealing with uncontrolled diabetes as a type two diabetic. And I had just come off an IUD that I had had in for five years. So I already knew that my womb was not conducive to a healthy pregnancy. Um, my body had not re-regulated. I had not even had a menstrual cycle um, after having the IUD removed. The diabetes was uncontrolled. I mean, high A1C, mm. like really needed to get things under control before we could even consider, but happened to get pregnant right away. Um, so I already had had in the back of my mind, this may not take, and I'm yeah. not sure how this is going to go. Subsequently, the next month in July, my ex-husband was shot in the back and he had almost died. Gosh. And so we had to go say our goodbyes, at least on three occasions. He suffered, um, I think like 20 to 30 surgeries um, when he arrived at the hospital, he had lost 80% of his blood supply. And like, it was really a fight for him to live. I had, you know, the children. And so I'm trying to figure out how do I tell them that their father is about to die? How do I, how do I do that? And, you know, I have a three-year-old at this time. And I'm like, 
I don't know how I'm going to explain this to them. And so I'm arguing with my um, current husband over something that was just nonsense. It was over um, a beneficiary on my retirement that I had put my brother as his beneficiary until we could figure out who he wanted. And he was completely upset that I had done that. And I was trying to explain that it was temporary, a placeholder, big argument. We end up losing. So my ex-husband gets shot on a Thursday, that Friday morning, I start bleeding. And I'm like, Uh so we go to the emergency room. They, They were cold. They were very cold. They walked in, they said, I'm sorry, we can't find a heartbeat. And they walked out of the room. Oh, I'm sorry. That's how we found out. So that weekend was me miscarrying our children. It was so bad. I I was losing so much blood at that point. I had to go to the ER. I collapsed um, oh. and then ended up having to have the procedure. Because I had already had the wherewithal of like, I, I knew this was a possibility because of my, the state of my body. And I'm 36. So, you know, like I'm already up there in age anyway. And um he had had a conversation with a family member and in it, he had told them that he felt like I murdered our children because um, I was crying over my ex-husband potentially dying. And that family member told me what he said. And it just, it does something to you. There's no woman who desires to have children, who desires to be a mom would willingly murder her children. Never. And um, he recently tried, he acknowledged that he said it a few years later, what he meant when he was saying it. And then he apologized for it. But it was always something that stuck with me because that motherhood, being a good mom, that's my trigger. We all have a thing. And that's my soft spot, right? Am I a good mom? And so when he said it, just kind of dug at me differently because that was my like soft spot. Recently, he came to me and he said, I never said that. What I said was this. And if you want to believe that that's what I said, then that's on you. And it was like somebody just strips the healing from you. Yeah. It was like to say it once and then you circle back and stab me in the back again. And it was just. And that was maybe three weeks ago. And I was like, God, I, I, I can't. And I remember God saying to me, um, he can't be the bad guy. Hmm. Ayana, as someone who's suffered miscarriage, it, it hurts to hear that somebody would say that to you because yeah. it is one of the m- most painful things a woman can experience and, you know, my husband, for all of his faults, he would have never in a million years even had the thought to call me a murderer. You are anything but, and I'm sorry that that was said to you. I'm deeply sorry. Thank you. You did, you know, talking about motherhood, you did hit a wall at some point. Uh, after, you know, you were experiencing, all I mean, abuse on every level here including physical. Tell me what happened. What was your, I I can't take this anymore. I'm done. Last April, my ex-husband had come down to see his children. It was their spring break. So he had rented like an Airbnb not too far from us. 
So he did recover. He did recover. He ended up losing both of his legs, though. Oh, um, and so that was a hard transition because of the amount of blood loss. Um, he had two below the knee amputations, so he is, you know, fully on prosthetics. Um, but you know, he's a survivor. He drives. He works out. He was on like a CrossFit team. Like, wow. you know, he's pretty resilient in That's that way. Incredible. You know, wow. as he would say, "I'm a New Yorker." <laughs> <laughs> Um, so he had come down. Uh, we had moved out of our um, home state to a new state, and he moved out. He came down to visit his children, and on our way there to drop them off, uh, my current husband sent me a text message, and he told me he said, "Look at your text." And I said, "I'm sorry, what?" He said, "Look at your phone." So I picked up my phone, and he said, "Do not touch him, do not high five him, do not hug him, do not make any physical contact with him." And um, what bothered me about it was the, the demand of the tone. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, you can ask me. Yeah, because you're not a child. These things, but don't demand that I, and I wouldn't, I know how you feel. I know what your issues are. So I'm not running up to this person, you know, embracing them. So I didn't say anything, let the kids go with him. And we got back to our home. And um, I had sent a text and I said, you know, please don't speak to me that way. Um, You didn't ask me, you actually commanded me. And, you know, I know how to be responsible about these things. I said, so I'm going to give us emotional space and I'm just going to stay downstairs tonight and just, you know, let things cool off because the house was very tense, even though it was just the two of us. And so he came, he found me, he started screaming. I can't believe you're going to be down on this. You're going to sleep outside of our bedroom and he's in town and, you know, he just kind of went on this big screaming fit and I just kind of let him say what he said. And um, I was in my son's room. And so I closed the door. Uh, No, he walked out and I closed the door behind him and he bust the door open from it being fully locked and was like, don't, you know, don't you close no door on me and just got really in my face. And that wasn't the first time. That was the second time he had bust open a door Um, He had actually broken the frame to our front door in an apartment we were living in before we bought our home. Like he completely broke the entire frame. So, you know, almost the entire security deposit had to go to fix that. Uh. I couldn't lock the door and I had small children in the house and we didn't live in such a great area. You know, so it was just I think that was the first time I realized that I didn't have a covering like you should as a wife and having small children. Ayana, tell me how it felt. To have a man who's bigger than you, stronger than you, and you're in this room, what was it like when he beats down the door and is coming at you? Initially, I thought maybe if I could just calm him down, then I could be safe. And then as I recognized his anger and that this wasn't even like normal anger, you know, like you have an argument, you're heated, you say things. This was rage. Mm. I remember going up, he had left the house for a little bit. And I remember running up to our bedroom because I had had a trip planned and had already started packing. And I said, you have to get out of the house earlier than what you anticipate. And I remember going upstairs to grab clothes. And my I looked, I got a glimpse of myself in the mirror. And it was the first time in my entire life that I felt like a domestic violence victim. Mm. My body was trembling. 
my hands were trembling. I was like, okay, you just gotta, you gotta grab this and this and this and this and this. And I was like in a panic. Cause he was screaming in your face. Right. And he was yeah. throwing things, breaking things. Yeah. And so like he had tossed a, like a recliner chair that we had in our bedroom and for every Valentine's Day, I decorate all of their doors with little notes of how I love them and what I think about them. And, you know, it's like plastered. And um, he had taken everything down. They were like little wooden hearts and he was just breaking those, you know, so the door was already kind of busted. I just remember shaking and thinking, like, God, please get me through the night. I don't know if this man is going to kill me. And so I ended up sleeping in my office. I had my phone and I had a knife. And I kept my phone on the button because on the iPhone, you know, if you press it so many times, it's just going to call the police. Right. So um, his mother-in-law was the only person that knew that this was happening, but she lived in, um, my mother-in-law knew what was happening because I called her and so she could hear it. And so uh, I wasn't sure if I could get a hotel that night or what happened. And he was like, you know, you better not call the police. And so I'm in a new state. I don't know what the system is like. I'm conflicted on if I should call the police because I don't know the process. You know, I'm like, my kids may come home and they may find me murdered in this house. You really believed that, didn't you? I did. In that moment, I did. I did. I wasn't sure if he was going to, because I, I, human, humans are fickle we can go from rage to blackout really quickly Yes, and then come back to ourselves only to see the damage that we've caused. And that damage, unfortunately, could be someone's life. That was the moment where I said, God, I, I can't, I, I can't. Then fast forward, we end up in another argument in November. So this past November. So you didn't, you didn't leave. I didn't leave things calmed down. And I said, God, you're going to I'm just going to, and not in a judgmental way at all. So mm-hmm. please hear my heart. I'm, I'm pushing back just to say, why? why because not? some yeah. people are like, man, I, I but, but so yeah. many women don't, it's very common. Can you process with us a little bit, your decision to not leave after such a horrific mm-hmm. incident? As crazy as it sounds, God didn't tell me to leave. He didn't, I didn't hear him audibly, and I hear him audibly, and he did not say leave. In fact, what he told me was surrender your marriage to me. Give it all to me. So that way, when it ends, you will know that it is me, and it is not your emotion. And I said, God, do you see what he just did? And he said, yes. This is why I'm asking you to surrender the marriage. And so I did. Okay. And I hated it almost every day of it. And so fast forward, what, I guess, six months. Yeah. So about November of 2022. So this happened in April of 2022, this incident. And then fast forward to November of 2022, we get into another argument. Um, He goes on a 15 minute tangent about how I'm using him, about how I'm doing all the things. The only difference is my kids are right there. So they're listening to him complain about who I am as a person. I'm a pathological liar, um, you know, a manipulator, I'm all these things. And so I have my son turn the TV up and he says, if you have him turn that TV up, I'm going to come in there and I'm going to F and break it. Mm. And my son looked at me and I said, if he doesn't, we'll just call the police. People have to be responsible for their actions. 
And my son looked at me and he said, could you call them now? Wow. And I said, God, I can't. I said, are you scared? And he said, yes. And I said, uh, yeah, God, I can't. I can't. This, no, I can't. No. No. It's then, so interesting to me. And I think it points to how much you love your kids, right? Yeah. Like when the abuse starts to impact our children, we are done. Right. But I would just encourage women to have some respect for your children's mother so that if you're being abused, you know, it's just like the kids being abused because they don't want to see that for their mother. It's so the same. That previous, I think that April, he told me to surrender is when I joined Conquer. I said, if I have to, if I have to endure, I need a community of women who get it. I need a community of women who understand it. I don't have to sugarcoat anything. I can come into the community. I can say all the things yes. that I need to say. And it was such a safe space. And it was, it, God is so intentional. From that moment, I went through the Conquer program. I started to build out my safety plan. I started to build out my exit strategy. And I started to pray intentionally, God, how do you release me? And almost a year to the day that I joined Conquer, God released me. Tell me how. So back in 2020, when we were doing that debrief, we were sitting at the end and my husband then started to say to me, you can't use what I feel as an opportunity to say you're done. And in that moment, God said, give me my son back. I need him alone. I release you. Hmm. And we separated for a year. I moved completely out of our home. I moved my children and myself into my brother's home for an entire year. We get down to a new state. We reconcile. We get, well, we think we reconcile. We get down to a new state. And I start seeing some of the patterns come back up. All of this transpires, the April event, the November event. Now we're back at April 23. And I'm at an event that is um, prophetic. The woman who's holding it comes to me and says, God said he needs his son back. Just like what you heard. Just like what I heard. And she said, you keep trying to cover him. You keep trying to heal him. And that is not your job. You need to give him back to God. I knew in that moment what she meant because it was only something that God had spoken to me directly. And that was the release. So did you at that time file for divorce? So on April 30th, I told my husband, I can forgive and I can reconcile, but I do not desire to restore our marital relationship. And he asked me why. I said, because there's a lack of emotional, physical, spiritual, and financial safety. I just don't feel safe. And I gave myself 60 days. I said, you never want to make an emotional decision. You need to be logical. You need to really think about what you're about to do. Because you have people in the Christian and community who are telling you, you know, like God can turn it around. He sure can when people are willing to put the blinker on. That's good. That's good. That's exactly right. I mean, he's not going to force anybody. He will um, not. Tell me what that was like to, because it is a huge decision, not just anyone else, but you know, financially, you've got these four kids and, right. and, you know, I know that there are women that are just frozen with the thought of, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Right. Describe a little of how you dealt with those thoughts and what that felt like. Honestly, what I can say, it was a lot of prayer. 
Like I really had to lay my face at the cross. I had to bear it all. I had to give God everything. I had to tell him this sucked. I had to tell him I was mad at him. I had to tell him like, this isn't fair. Why would you give me a man who was going to treat me like this? I had to come naked before God. And then I had to say, this is what I need. I can't move forward without having certain provisions in place. And those provisions were, please surround me with women who will not judge me, who will not critique me, who will not make me feel like a bad Christian because abuse is so gray in the Bible. Yes. Like, you know, because they don't believe I have biblical grounds for filing. Like, put me in a community that will honor me right where I am as I am. And I'm like, God, I have to be able to take care of myself. I was, you know, I had my coaching business, but wasn't bringing in any income. And God is so intentional. It started with community. It started with just being around one woman who understood, then two women who understood, then three, four, five. And then I said, God, I need a spiritual mentor, just one person who can speak life into me biblically. And he provided that. And then I said, God, I need a way to be able to take care of them. So if he decides to up and leave, I can continue things, even if it's going to be rough. Like, I'm okay with it being rough. I'm okay with it being challenging, but I need resources. He lined me up with a job in, the minist in a ministry and they surrounded me. Then I said, God, I need a church home. I need a community. Do you know the church that I go to is literally on the other side of my job? Wow. Like so intentional. And then I said, God, like, I just, I need you to pour into me. I need to understand the Bible. I need to really get grounded in my faith. So I was able through the church to sign up for their Bible study, not devotional, their Bible study of the Bible. So first I had to become bare. I couldn't sugarcoat it with God anymore. I had to give him room in my heart to do a work. And then I also prayed for us to divorce well. I said, God, I need to leave this marriage more whole than broken. How did Conquer help you as far as being part of that community that you needed and that support? Tell me some of the ways that that Conquer and Leslie's ministry was helpful to you. Yeah. So I had first come across Leslie on Focus on the Family. That was early in my marriage. And that's when I learned about the emotionally destructive marriage, that that was actually a thing. So she get, first gave me language to accept this is exactly what I'm dealing with. And so I purchased the book, The Emotionally Destructive Marriage. I read that and it just validated everything that I felt. I felt so seen after reading that book. So had gone to her page and had learned a little bit more about what she does, but wasn't ready to pull the trigger on Conquer. I didn't really know about investing in yourself. I didn't know about, you know, paying for memberships to be a part of. I didn't know anything about that world. I just knew therapy and that was it. Right. So I, I hesitated on it a little bit. And then when I went through that incident, I had remembered, I'm like, there was a woman that talked about this. And I remembered, you know, it was Leslie. And so I um, went to her website, saw that Conquer was opening 
I couldn't have planned it any better the way that it just sort of mapped out, joined it. And then as I was going through the six weeks, it was like, I got my safety plan. I got my people. I got my, what's my problem with his problem. I got my boundaries. I got language. I got understanding. You know, I got biblical reference to support what I was feeling, what I was thinking from a biblical standpoint. So it wasn't just my emotions anymore. This was biblical truth of what I was experiencing. There's actually real solid teaching. Real, yes. Like there was chapter and verse, and then there was context, and then there was story, and then there were examples, and then there was an opportunity to ask our actual questions and to have them answered live. There was an opportunity to get poured into whenever a situation would arise um, by being in the community of being able to go in and have other women saying, I'm praying for you and, you know, or praise God for the small win, or there's a rainbow that's coming, you know, it's, it's the storm now, but the rainbow is so the level of encouragement. So it wasn't just the program, you know, that you see in the social media streets. It was, it was a biblical foundation that I needed to get out of a destructive relationship. If you could offer or share one lesson that was really crucial to you that you learned and conquer, what would it be? Um, What's my problem with his problem? And what that did for me was it helped me to take ownership of what I could control and what I couldn't because I was trying to control everything. If I could just, maybe if I, if I had shifted, maybe if I changed and I had to let that go. And I had to say, Ayana, your problem with this problem is that you feel like you're not enough. Mm. So focus on becoming enough in your own eyes, not his. He doesn't give you your value. That's so good. God does. And so if God gave you your value, there's no human being on earth that can take it away from you. So remind yourself of your God-given value. And when I could separate what my problem was with his problem, it became my problem. And when my problem shifted to what I could do, I could solve it. I could solve my own problems Mm -hmm. because I wasn't now focused on solving his. And whenever that comes up for me, I'm just reminded well, what's your problem with this problem? Oh, okay. So you don't feel this. Got it. Okay. Let's just affirm you. Wow. Where are you at today? I'll be filing soon. I am working full time. I am in an amazing church surrounded by amazing people. My children are healthy and happy. I know God loves me. I know he has a plan for me. You're not Um, living with him, are you? We're still living in the same house. We are. But I now have precautions in place. I actually don't engage beyond how was your day. I keep things to a minimum. I'm just trusting and knowing God's got me. Does he know that you're going to file? Yes. Okay. If you could offer one piece of advice to a woman who's listening and in a similar situation, what would you say to her? You are needed, you are necessary, you are loved, and you deserve to be here, healed and whole. That is the best gift you could give to yourself 
that is the best gift that you could give to your children is the healed version of you. Ayana, thank you for being so brave and willing to share your story with us. Uh, thank let you me, for having me. Let me pray really quick. Mm-hmm. Father, I lift up Ayana and every person who is hearing this episode. You know them. You know them by name. You see their situation. And I pray that they would know that you see them and that you care. God, let them experience your comfort, your encouragement, and your help. And Lord, I just pray for peace and wisdom on every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. If you need clarity on whether your marriage is difficult, disappointing, or destructive, go to lesliewernick.com forward slash start for Leslie's free quick start guide. It's totally private and will help you get clear on your next step. Again, that's lesliewernick.com forward slash start. Until next time, may God bless your relationships with him, with yourself, and with others.